Welcome to the Waste Not What Not podcast. I'm Philippa Ross, human ecologist, enthusiologist, author and energy healer, bringing you inspirational interviews, news and tips to rebuild the relationship between people and the planet the way nature intended by revitalizing our natural resources, minimizing waste and maximizing human potential. I trust you discover seeds of hope for a vibrant future so you can cultivate and transform them to suit your own lifestyle in order for us to collectively create a world where reverence for the diversity of all life is honoured. You'll find all the show notes in the description and lots more about me and my work at philipparos.com. And don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to share far and wide. Hello Wastebusters, welcome to episode 46. I've deliberately delayed this week's episode so I could share news from the Kemlar meeting about new marine protected areas in the East Antarctic, Weddell Sea and the Antarctic Peninsula regions. But sadly, agreement to do so was thwarted by Russia and China again, despite an agreement to create a network of MPAs they made in 2011. On a more positive note, eight new areas have been added to the vulnerable marine ecosystems, which means no fishing using gear that contacts the seafloor will be allowed there. You may remember my interview with Dr. Rodolfo Werner, episode 35, about the First World Cruel Day, when he said many people still refer to the annual meeting as the Cruel Convention. So it's good to hear there's now a focus on new science and monitoring changes to the krill population. Hopefully, a special meeting scheduled to focus on marine protected areas ahead of next year's convention will have a more positive outcome than the last six years have. Claire Christian, Executive Director for the Antarctic and Southern Ocean Coalition, commented on the convention this year, saying... We've learned more about the dire state of the global biodiversity, including threats for the emperor and chinstrap penguins. We've seen reports that Earth's ice-covered regions are on the front lines of the climate emergency, acknowledging the impact of climate change. But, she says, effective protection of the world's last great wilderness is still overdue, and there is no basis scientific or otherwise, for a small minority of countries to delay. In my humble opinion, the decision smacks of geopolitical bullshit and not what I believe the majority of people would vote for if the power was in their hands. One man who's definitely democratising archaic systems that thwart growth is my guest this week, Glenn Herod from Happy Cow Milk. Glenn has the tenacity of a bull who is charging ahead despite the many obstacles he's endured to bring his ingenious milk factory in a box concept to help farmers sell their liquid gold directly to their community. The in a box idea is also helping farmers in India. One of the 15 finalists in the Earthshot Prize that had over 3,000 entries is a company called Keitye, who've created a greenhouse in a box to help smallholder farmers reduce climate risk and increase yields. There's a link in the show notes if you want to find out more and details of the other finalists who've created innovative solutions to some of the environmental challenges we're now facing. Some of the changes are revealing extraordinary associations, like a recent sighting at 11 Mile Beach near Esperance in Western Australia of a southern right whale that appeared to have adopted a young humpback. 
Photographer Jess Wohling had to ask her friend Kate Fanai, who works with the Little White Whale Project, to confirm the shot she captured was of two different species. Databases are now being scanned to see if the right whale can be identified because the two species rarely cross paths, so seeing them together is also mystifying scientists. There's some great new scientific research from King's College London that has revealed how seeing or hearing birds improves mental well-being for up to eight hours. We're so blessed here in New Zealand to be surrounded by bird life and have organisations like a previous guest of mine, Richard Robbins, from Project Birdsong, episode 24, who are protecting the environment to bring back our native birds. There's a link to the article and my interview with Richard in the show notes. While on the subject of mental health, many New Zealanders were touched by the Rocks Radio interview with Mike King, who broke down in tears because he's frazzled and frustrated by the reality of suicide. He works in the midst of the problem and is calling bullshit on latest suicide figures because the difference between what the government's portraying is shattering and his continued efforts to get support from them is like swimming against the tide. New Zealanders rallied round big time yesterday to make the annual Gumboot Friday fundraising day the best yet, to the point they broke the 469 text tool because it couldn't cope with the sheer volume. A very successful day, but we must remember it's an ongoing issue, so your continued support for the I Am Hope Trust is appreciated. There's a link to the website that gives a variety of ways you can keep the momentum going. My friend Dawn Love, aka Dirty Hippie, who makes natural products, has created a special soap full of hope and sunshine, infused with lemon, signifying a zest for life. All profits are going to Mike's charity. There's a link in the show notes so you can get your hands on something that will add value to your life and that will have value to somebody else's. Like Mike, my guest this week, Glenn Hurrard from Happy Cow Milk, was all but ready to throw in the towel, but was spurred on by the support of his community. Glenn's innovative milk factory in a box system removes the burden of the bureaucratic regulations from the farmer and gives them an opportunity to make a better living, filling a much needed, kinder, greener, fairer void that previously stopped them from selling safe, sustainable milk to the local community. Good morning. It's lovely to have you join me. Welcome all the way from Christchurch. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you very much. You're a third generation farmer, so you have a fair idea what this dairy farming lark is all about, haven't you? Yeah, well, my grandparents were dairy farming in Africa, and then my parents were dairy farming in Africa. And then they moved to New Zealand, and they were dairy farmers. And then I went to Lincoln and studied dairy farming, and then went dairy farming for a bit, and then decided I didn't really like it, and (laughs) left for a while. Oh, right. Uh, I spent 10 years in town running a retail business. And then I figured out, uh, I always felt like a farmer, so I wanted to get back into it. But I think we could do it in a better way. So what was it you didn't like about the farming? Oh, well, the dairy industry is a tough business because you've got to milk cows every single day, twice a day. And there's a lot of work and it just, it's nonstop. It's just every single day. And you've got to do it in all weather. And it's hard on people and yeah, and I think when I looked at it, I could see it was just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and more consolidated. 
And if I was to go dairy farming within the existing system, you have to basically farm in the way that everyone else farms, because that's the way that the banks like to see it and, and business partners and farm advisors and all things like that. And I didn't really like that. And I, I think people were sort of saying that they didn't like the way that the dairy is going. And, you know, I agreed with them. So, yeah, I thought, let's do it my own way. But uh, it's easier said than done. <laughs> well, from the inspiration of the idea when we were talking earlier goes back to 2006 and we're 2022 now. So tenacity is one of your greater traits, I would say. <laughs> well, I, I guess when you're onto something, I mean, our supporters have really driven us on. And, you know, most people wouldn't be able to keep going unless you had the support of people and they, they want to see this a different way of doing dairy and they want to see it come to light. So, yeah, we've been driven on by the supporters of the crowd all around the world. Can you expand on your definition of a happy cow? Well, well, basically, I mean, a happy cow is one that uh, is living as she normally would in nature. So that's generally fed mainly grass and really just enabled her to do what she wants to do. And to be honest, cows just like eating grass and then chewing their cud. But it's more than that. It's also the thing we're kind of known for is our cow and calf policy where we leave our calves with their mothers and let them wean at around eight weeks of age, which is quite different to what normally happens in the dairy industry where a calf is born and it's removed at, at day one. Mm. And, you know, part of that philosophy is a cow will have a calf and it's expected to raise it. That's how nature intended it and that's how their uh, instincts are. So a happy cow is one that is living as she would in nature. How was the inspiration sparked and what was it that actually sparked it to begin with? I guess I could see that if I wanted to go farming on a smaller scale, you couldn't really make that work selling milk to Fonterra or, or a milk factory just right. because you don't get enough money for your milk. And that's why farms are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. So the way around that is to sell your milk direct to the customer. So instead of getting 60 cents a litre, you're getting maybe $2.50 or maybe $2 a litre, something like that. Mm -hmm. So then you can make uh, more money from less cows. So that's the, the initial the premise of happy cow milk. And what the public are really saying is they would like to support good farmers that they can trust and they like. And it's actually quite hard for them to buy milk from a local farmer. And I guess the happy cow story is that it's actually quite hard for local farmers to supply milk when you've done all the regulation and uh, all the processing and distribution and things like that. So that's how it started. And happy cow went for a couple of years. We went for four years and we basically ran out of money. And we couldn't make the economics work. That's when we were forced to shut down, but our crowd kept us going. And uh, we pivoted out of milking cows myself. And instead, we're providing the equipment and the back-end services that enable other farmers to supply their local market. I guess sometimes it's bloody hard at the time when something falls on its face. But it seems like this time round, with your fundraising there's a real business model in there to help people. And that is a huge bonus for the farmers because at the beginning of our conversation, what you were saying, the protocol and the restrictions that you've got in place that are so hard to overcome and you've taken all that worry away from people and created a business in a box type thing that people buy and it processes the milk and it's all met all the regulations, isn't it? Yeah, well, the problem you have when you're smaller scale is your equipment's not really that efficient and your systems aren't that efficient and you make do with the equipment you've got and things. And what happens is your labor costs are higher than they mm. need to be. 
and you can't really compete. So any change that happens has to also make economic sense or else it won't happen. Well, it will only happen to a small degree. So what we're trying to do is take away that regulatory burden of the farmers and provide a complete system that basically handles milk from the farm right through to the milk dispensers and the, the bulk tanks that we put them in. So it's reducing the workload for farmers so that they can, um, I guess, do with one person what uh, it was taking sort of two people for me to do. Right. And so when it comes to distributing the milk, is this like a unit that the farmers can have and people come and collect the milk or does it mean they can then take the milk to schools or, or how does that part work? Well, we basically, anywhere that's got one of our dispensers will um, accept uh, our milk tank. So you can put a dispenser at the end of the farm gate or you can put it uh, in a cafe or a retailer or a school or anywhere like that. So if a farmer's going to sell their milk, they generally have a handful of different types of businesses that want to use it. So we've created our dispenser so it can fit into different kinds of environments. And that means it's easier for farmers to sell their milk. But yeah, they all accept our bulk milk tank and just attaches to our little milk dispenser. That's pretty cool. So what is the minimum number of cows makes it viable for a farmer to use this system? Well, it depends what your goals are. I mean, if you've got 10 cows, it's probably as low as you want to go. You might have $30,000 left over at the end of it. So that might pay your mortgage or it might pay um, half a wage. So, you know, it'd still be a bit of work. But, you know, once you get up to 30 cows and, and 60 cows, it becomes quite a serious business. I think you should be aiming for around 800 to 1,000 litres of milk a day, which is roughly 40 to 60 cows. Wow. So that's very mm. rewarding. You've had a pilot farmer this year, haven't you? We've got that farmer in the Waikato. So Chris has been using our equipment for the last couple of months. Yeah, we're just working out all the kinks and uh, fixing all the little issues that we've still got. Yeah, the plan is, is over the next couple of months to start uh, scaling into Auckland and to, into Waikato. Fantastic. Mm. So what yeah. kind of feedback have you had from him as to how it served him? A lot of farmers want to feel acknowledged for the work they do on their farm. And when they're putting their milk into a bulk tank and it goes to a big milk company, no one really knows about them. So I think that's one of the, the advantages that we can offer is that the farmers get to tell their story and get acknowledged for the work they do, but yeah, also make a little bit more money. I think that's the motivations that farmers are looking for. Internationally, I think farmers are really looking for a way to stay viable as costs are increasing and regulations are increasing. So farmers are looking for a way of basically reducing their cow numbers, but still making the same amount of money. So selling milk direct to their local customers or selling some of their milk direct is a good way mm. for them to do that. My father decided, I think I was age 10, so we're talking 50 years ago. This is on the Isle of Wight in England. He was in computers ah. and he decided he'd like to become a farmer. So my <laughs> uncle had a, there was a farm came up for sale next door, but one so we moved and dad became a farmer. It was mainly arable and beef, but we had a Jersey cow to begin with. And then we had two Jersey cows. We had excess mm. milk and my mum started up making, we made cheese and had a cheese shop and all the rest of it. And I oh. know back then there was a small farm. It was only 173 acres. And I hadn't actually appreciated what you said earlier so far as the reason behind the need to expand the herd. I mean, it was basically all about making it more viable. I hadn't actually appreciated that so much. 
But there was this real sense of community and people around us knew each other and other farmers would help each other. And actually, Mm. agriculture is an integral part of our community. And as Chris was saying, it's really nice to be valued for your contribution. And I think more and more people are wanting to be more ethical in their practices and provide the facilities for the animals to thrive in their natural environment and with all the chemicals and things that are going on at the moment it's just disgusting really and it's no wonder we have such bad health and so if I know that a farmer is doing his utmost to have an ethical farm like a regenerative farming or thinking and and again everything's a process to get there doesn't happen overnight you want to support them like your farmers in the community are, yeah. Yeah, they do. And I mean, farming's a hard business. Um, I think only 2% of the population, or it might even be less than that, are farmers. Really? Um, oh, yeah, hardly any. Yeah, it's, it's very small. Wow. Um, but when you look at farming, it's actually very difficult to make money from it. Well, actually, a good example was Clarkson's farm. He did that documentary for Amazon where he's got a farm and he farmed it for a year, and I think he made 100 pounds or something. Right. <laughs> Yeah, and I think as we look at dairy farmers around the world, that the, the small to medium-sized farms are, are all going out of business. Around 22,000 dairy farmers shut down every year. They're all the small family farms, and those cows are replaced by much larger meter dairies, really. And there's a perception that milk consumption is going down, but it, it's it's not. It's increasing by about 2% every year. Oh, and wow. Has been, yeah. A lot of Western cities are reducing their milk consumption, but on a global scale, liquid milk consumption is increasing. It's not coming from family farms anymore. It's coming from, or increasingly, it's coming from large corporate farms that Mm. are being farmed in a way that uh, people aren't really that happy with. And really, that's because that's how the economics are pushing it. Yeah, I mean, it's a global, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's corporate takeover, really. Um, Having the monopoly on something. I mean, I know after six years of farming, my parents sold up because just weren't making any money and it was just a, a vicious cycle it's 24 7 it's a bit like okay. hospitality all it's a very idealistic lifestyle but the reality of it is very different yeah that's right and it's hard work <laughs> but uh, and it's going to get harder so we're going to see more farmers basically shut down over the next little while if you look throughout europe you know there's a real uh, push from a regulatory perspective to reduce animal agriculture, animal emissions. So I think we're going to see less and less farmers around the world, at least dairy farmers anyway, which I think is disappointing because I think you can do animal agriculture really well. And I think uh, really it's the family farm where it's going to happen. That's not our mission. I think it's the intensity of it that's quite unnecessary and paying attention to the detail and the welfare actually... um, the way the world has been has been about making things fast and it's a shit or bust sort of thing. And and it's the way that you're creating it and the ethics behind what you're doing makes it a lot more sustainable and personable. And this is another reason for the podcast. It's not about doing something mega. It's about whatever you do fits with your values and makes a difference to your community. And I think that is mm-hmm something that we really really lost and that's why I really admire the work that you're doing and the fact that it's taken so long but you've come back with a plum <laughs> and the idea of going global now and helping is just phenomenal it must feel really good oh well I mean we're not there yet <laughs> um, 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But there's a, there's a lot of work to do. It's not that simple. I mean, we, we're a tool that helps farmers, but farmers really still need to want to do it themselves and be able to do it themselves. I think we'll be successful and it is great to have so many international farmers who have heard about us and, and looking for ways to see that we can help them. So I, I think that's good. And you know, I think we're the only real company that's really set out with this goal to, to help people do that. So uh, Absolutely. I've not seen anything. And because you've had interest from California, haven't you? Yeah. So we hope to get Kevin's farm up and running shortly. Yeah, he wants to sell pasteurized milk into California. We've got um, farmers in Quebec and Australia, the Netherlands, and basically all around. Fantastic. Great stuff. Interesting time. You've got a pledge me on at the moment, aiming for a certain amount, and the minimum investment is $100, isn't it? Yeah, so people can buy shares in Happy Cow Milk. I mean, this is our third crowdfunded round, so we've always sold shares in the company to fund the development of the equipment. And uh, yeah, so we've uh, we've got our minimum investment of two hundred thousand. Um, so that's good, but people only need a hundred dollars. You can buy shares in a company, and, uh, and hopefully we'll be able to pay the dividends in the coming years. What is this round of money for? We've got the bare bones in place. We've got the customers waiting. We've got a couple of farmers waiting, and we really just need to buy a few more milk tanks and dispensers and things like that. So that's really to fund that. And the other thing because of the ridiculous fart tax that came out the other week. That's what I call it anyway. It just goes to show the big picture. I mean, this is going to help because it it means that you you don't need such a big herd. The problem is that as soon as you put a tax on, basically it's another fee that a farmer has to pay. And I can see that the proponents of it would be thinking, well, this is good. It encourages them to be more sustainable, but it gets quite complicated quite quickly. Essentially, it's just going to make it more difficult for family farms and it's the, the farmers that will be able to operate in this environment of the, the bigger, more efficient corporate sort of style farms. Yeah, yeah. It's, and it's penalising at every stage because um, to me, it's like looking at that much bigger picture. If we look after our own and stop using all the emissions to send stuff aboard to actually import the same amount, if not more, Therein lies a huge carbon footprint in and of itself, really. So I just think some of it is so farcical. Yeah, it's interesting, though. Like, if some places just can produce stuff much lower emissions than other places. A good example is if you make a block of cheese in New Zealand and you ship it across to the UK and sell it into a, a British supermarket, it has half the carbon footprint of a, a British block of cheese because... New Zealand's farming system is um, basically pasture-based, which has a lot lower emissions, even though you've shipped it around the world. There's a, there's a lot of examples like that. So I think there is an advantage to it in some cases. Personally, I think look after one's own. Oh, yeah. Well, locals are supplying locals. But, um, I mean, we have capsicums in the middle of winter because we export them from Spain or wherever. Have you got any dreams for, I don't know, five, ten years' time? <laughs> Well, I mean, we'd like to be helping 500 farmers. That's yeah, that's sort of the goal we're chipping away to. So uh, hopefully, we can uh, we'll get there one farmer at a time. Are your parents still with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. What do they think to the idea? And it must be very different from Africa. Well, actually, surprisingly enough, this is what we're doing is exactly what my parents and my grandparents are doing in Africa. They uh, had a small herd of cows, and they would supply the local township with milk. When you looked at our sort of mobile milking system and things like that, it was almost identical to what my grandparents were doing. Um, wow. So you're hmm. glad you came back into farming? Oh, yeah, because I think we're making a difference and we're doing something that needs to be done. So, yeah. 
No, yeah, it, I mean, it's hard work, but uh, yeah, no, it is fulfilling. I guess your time in retail that you were telling me about will have helped you on the business side of things. Is there any other skills that you learned there that you've managed to bring in? Yeah, well, that was really around making sales and marketing, you know, getting people to come to your store and buy your product. Yeah, we learned a lot from that. A lot of farmers aren't very customer focused because they don't sell to customers. What Happy Cow really is doing is saying to farmers, if you're going to sell milk, you have to be customer focused. And uh, that's quite a big change for many farmers. But we learned from that. And uh, yeah, basically just the sales and marketing and how important that is. Mm. So happy cow, happy chappy, happy farmer. (laughs) Yeah, I guess if you're used to talking to the cows and nature, it's totally different, isn't it, to be part of something bigger? You know, often customers can be quite demanding and they don't understand what goes into the production of something. And yep. uh, I think farmers, uh, generally speaking, struggle with that because they look at the world from the production side of things and not yep. from a customer perspective. Mm. And I think that's the beauty of what you're doing. It's actually highlighting all the obstacles that are in the way to do something. And I love your journey because it has shown that there is always a way. It might take longer and it might um, you need to do things differently. But the fact that you picked yourself up so many times and found the solution, because I guess at the heart of it, that's what's your driving force. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot of people who like the change that we're going for. I think it's a worthy project to be working on. <laughs> I do too. I do too. So was there a person or a book or something that actually inspired this aspect of things? Not really. I think you just know. There's not really many books on farming. <laughs> there's a lot of entrepreneurial books, and I guess I read a few of them. But no, I just think it's just deep something within you. I wouldn't say I've been influenced by anything like that. No. From just listening to your grandparents' story, there is a part of you and the way it is. It must have had an, an influence of some form. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just problem solving. The real question was, how do we make family farming viable again? We shouldn't yeah. be needing $10 million to, to have a dairy farm. So that was really what drove it. And then you just keep asking the questions and asking the questions and uh, seeing where it leads you and you sort of come to, to where we're at. That's how we got there. Fantastic. So do you have a quote or some inspirational words that keep you going, apart from happy cow? (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry. I'm very boring. But basically, I think it's worthwhile to not get excited about anything and not get discouraged either. Uh, That's maybe a boring way to live life, but it gets you through the ups and downs. Well, no, the important thing is a different perspective. And you've obviously managed to keep things on an an even keel. And it's actually an integral part of who you are and so you may not necessarily need those outside influences it doesn't make you boring (laughs) (laughs) no well the thing is is the problem with outside influences is they don't really understand the core problem at hand so um, if you are guided by what other people think or what other people are sort of saying it often leads you in the wrong direction there is outside help that's really good but I think you have to be very selective of where it comes from. I mean, the world's full of vice at the moment and full of people with quotes that are encouraging and stuff. And I mean, I guess they're good, but at the end of the day, a lot of it's just hard work and just keep going. (laughs) And I think for some people, it has the opposite effect and creates doubt in what they're doing as well. Yeah, I think it's important to decide to fail early if you're going to fail and um, basically learn what you need to learn and either move on 
And if it's something you're going to grind on with, well, then you need to take all the data points to make sure that you're going in the right direction. So if yeah. people weren't buying our shares and happy cow milk, well, that's a sign that this isn't a worthy concept and carry on and do something else. Yeah, we keep getting the validation, I suppose, that's that, um, that what we're doing is the right. So, yeah, I guess that's what drives us on. And I think it is also important, you know, as you were saying, it's the re-evaluating the whole time. And if something doesn't work mm. to do that and not allow the seeds of doubt to take root, really. So mm. when you are down, uh, as I'm sure you've had a few moments, um, what do you do to pick yourself up again? Get down. Um, I don't really have a good answer for that. You obviously have worries sometimes and you, you're unsure of where to go and things like that. And I mean, I um, I always just delve into the Bible. That always is a good spot for me. It's amazing what guidance I get from that. You don't need a lot to be happy, you know. When you when you do lose everything, you realize that you don't actually need much to be happy. And uh, getting down is, um, I think that's just the uh, the emphasis that we put on things. It's a it's our interpretation that we've put on our circumstances. And uh, you can be down because you can't have you know the income you want or the the car you want or things like that. But I don't really get down. Well, you reach to the Bible and it's inspiration. It's just an inner knowing that is bigger and what is important to you. If I could be your fairy godmother, and oh. drop, <laughs> apart from boosting the pledge me, what is the one wish that I could grant for you that would make a difference to you? Oh, uh, well, I think wisdom would be the best thing to ask for. Interesting. Because <laughs> uh, I guess you can do anything with wisdom. Wisdom as opposed to knowledge. Now we're getting philosophical. <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, wisdom is more philosophical. You can know stuff like with the ups and downs that you've had. It's a part of that inner knowing and tenacity. There's so much more to that word wisdom, I think. Oh, I guess, yeah. Well, knowledge is you know about something. Yeah, so you've got knowledge. You know about engineering or something like that. Wisdom would be how to move forward. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we go? Well, yeah, if Happy Cows interests you, I'll just give us a follow. And uh, we're always keen to have people along for the ride. But no, you don't have to pledge if you don't want to. But uh, if you do, that would be fantastic too. We'll get there either way. I think the beauty of it is that it's very accessible to everybody because there's a minimum of 100. So it doesn't mean you don't have to have thousands to invest and be a part of it, which I think is great. Includes the mm. whole community in your journey as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is good. We love the crowdfunding model. Well, wishing you all the best. Thanks for your time. You yeah, take nice care. Thank you very much. All righty. Right. Lovely yeah. to talk to you. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye. I'm thrilled to say the Happy Cow fundraiser has reached nearly 218,000 at the time of publishing this episode. Keep the pledges coming. Remember, you can invest in the movement for just $100 and or register your interest in finding a supplier near you. All the details are on his website, given in the show notes. Before I go, I just have to share the best interview I've heard in years with Vandana Shiva, physicist, ecologist, activist and prolific author who has been on the front line with people in communities all over the world, defending the environment and demanding democracy for decades. It's packed with invaluable information that'll open your eyes to what's really going on. Link in the show notes. With World Kindness Day on Sunday the 13th of November, it's fitting that my guest next week is involved with a growing movement to spread kindness all over New Zealand. Morgan Harrison is part of the Good Bitches baking team who bake cakes of gratitude, 
What a delicious combination. Make sure you follow or subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out. All feedback and reviews are much appreciated, as are your suggestions for subjects or guests you'd like me to consider. Just email me on info at So until next week, dig deep, open your mind to a world of possibilities, live life with a generous heart and take steps to minimise waste and maximise your own potential. Mm-hmm.